is Dr. Joe Armstrong. Just want to remind you, if you have ideas for the show, comments, questions for us, anything, send them to the moves room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Thanks again for listening. Stay safe out there. Welcome back to the Moose Room. We are talking about dairy scours this week. Uh, last week, we talked about general scours, and hopefully everyone had a chance to listen to that. But this week, we're talking about dairy, dairy calves, uh, and we'll get to beef at a later time in another episode. So big takeaways from last last week on the general, almost said grazing, but scours episode. We're talking about colostrum being the most important thing you can do for those calves, quality and how much they get quantity, and then dam health and nutrition being second, and then cleanliness, keeping everything clean and dry. So those are the big three things you have to think about. We're going to do some things specific to dairy and talk about some recommendations on the dairy. And fortunately, Brad's here who does run a dairy. Emily grew up on a dairy, so we have some experts to tell us what to do and, and how they do things in the real world so it's not just an ivory tower talking at you. Let's get to how much we feed calves because those are really, that's really, really important. Feeding calves and keeping them at a, the correct nutritional plane so they can grow, grow their immune system, have some body fat reserves to fight off any infection that they do see is very important. So Brad, what, what is your, your goal when you're feeding calves? How much should that calf eat? Well, when you're talking colostrum, I think they need a, at least a gallon of colostrum relatively soon after birth as soon as you can you know i i know that's not possible on a, uh, every farm but as fast as you can get the colostrum the better off and a lot of it um Are after that is doing another colostrum feeding it or two quarts at the next feeding or we we do yes we feed uh, another feeding of colostrum kind of you could call it second colostrum i guess uh, at, at the second feeding yes probably six to eight hours later and last episode, you said that we you're using a refractometer to test that colostrum. So we should probably go over those numbers quick using a brick scale, right? We're using a brick scale. It's a digital refractometer that we measure colostrum quality on every calf or every uh, for every calf. Uh, usually, you know, it, it, it's kind of a it's tough. We below 18, 19, we sort of. We, we, we don't try and feed that, or maybe you might add some colostrum replacer to it. Typically, we see that in heifers, really. We see that in heifers a lot, where the colostrum quality is low. Yeah, I think most of the research that we see on the, on the bricks and what relates to good quality colostrum um, is we're seeing a cutoff in that 22 to 23 is kind of the, the number that's used to feed heifer, feed heifer calves colostrum. But like Brad said, if you get much below 18, 19, it's really a, it's really a hard push to, to feed that to any calf. You know, one thing has popped into my head, like a lot of things do. Uh, a, lot, a lot of researchers uh, in the U.S. here, we're, we're really looking at colostrum and how to increase colostrum yield. You know, there's a sort of circadian rhythm. You'll see colostrum yield and quality go down in the wintertime, and that's all over the U.S., and Nobody really knows why it might happen. Does it have to do with, you know, the daylight hours, whatever? But there's a lot of people trying to look at colostrum and how to increase yield and quality of it because we know it's so important to calves. Yeah, it, it's massive for calves. 
How about after classroom? What are how Wait, much... I have a question. Uh-oh, Emily needs God, to... Emily I have not talking. talked yet, so let me talk. So question for you, Brad and, and Joe, both, um, you know, I've seen a presentation um, in the past by Dr. Reg Dr. Jeremy Sheffers with the U of M Vet School, and he has talked about making colostrum cubes. So actually using um, extra colostrum that's, that's left over that, you know, is good quality, freezing it in ice cube trays, and then um, supplementing calves after they've had their initial gallon or so of colostrum. And then, you know, just if they're getting a bottle or something of milk or milk replacer, tossing a few of those cubes in there. Now, of course, I know that you know, that critical time is as soon as possible after the calf is born when we're talking passive immunity transfer and all that good stuff. Uh, but do you, I mean, have you heard similar things like that? Would you say that that's um, a good thing to do? Uh, I would, I'm just curious uh, what your opinions are, because this is something I heard about for the first time probably eight years ago. Uh, and I'm just interested if, if that has changed or if you know people that have done that and seen good results on, you know, after that initial big round of colostrum, still um, giving a little dose of it per se uh, here and there with their regular uh, milk that they're taking. When we're talking about giving those colostrum cubes, it's a good strategy for prevention. It can be a good strategy for, for treatment as well. Some farmers are doing it by by just using waste milk and using that second that second milking in the waste milk so that those there are putting some of that second milking or that second colostrum into that transition milk into the the hole but what it's actually doing that calf's not absorbing those antibodies at all in the colostrum it's it there's antibodies floating free in that colostrum and they're binding any bugs that might be in that calf's gut instead of that calf being absorbing them or them getting attached mm. to the wall, um, sure. they're getting pushed out the back end, uh, already bound up by antibodies. So that's the theory behind it. And it does work really well, in my opinion. I, I think it works great. And it's definitely a great option for our organic farmers out there. Uh, it's just one more prevention step you can do because as we all know, organic, if you're gonna be organic, you gotta take all your prevention steps that you can. Have you used the, those cubes at all, Brad? Uh, we have not. We have not. We, you know, we'll freeze colostrum from extra colostrum from cows and need it, use it if possible. But no, we, we haven't used cubes. Are you using waste milk though? Waste milk. Yep. We do. Okay. Yep. So, so you're probably getting some of that already just by that second milking, mm -hmm. maybe being in that waste milk. That's cool. Okay. How much should we feed calves when we're talking after they've gotten colostrum, they're set up, how much should they get? Based on a lot of research that's been happening and even things that we've done at our university dairy, at least six liters. You shouldn't really be giving much less than that. I think maybe the worst thing in the dairy industry is those two-quart calf bottles. You just don't feed those calves enough. Uh, you know, if you're using a two-quart bottle twice a day, that's not enough groceries for those calves. They need more than that. You know, we we started that way a long time ago. We've moved to a gallon and a half. Uh, now we're at two gallons on a per per day per calf, and even ad lib. That's the what a lot of people are going to. So I believe in at least a gallon and a half per day uh, to get a, a a nice growth calf that's growing more than a pound and a half a day. 
Yeah, I think I think that's key. I mean, we we look at average daily gain, and at least to a point, there is a linear connection with lifetime and first lactation performance. And and for me, that sweet spot is right around between one and a half and one point eight pounds per day, and that that really falls into that doubling worth birth weight by weaning. And but that also provides that calf with enough groceries, enough energy, enough fat reserves to be able to fight off and any bugs that they do see. And if, if they're kind of limping along on that front and don't have any of that energy reserve to fall back on because we're not feeding enough, then scours becomes a huge issue. So I agree. I, I hate those two core bottles. Uh, and I haven't successfully convinced anyone to feed twice, feed the two core bottle twice to get to four quarts. It, it's, it's just so much work. It doesn't work very well at all. That's right. But I know that, uh, my buddy who has a, a Jersey dairy, I know we can, we can get 95% of those Jersey calves, those little tiny Jersey calves drinking a gallon twice a day by day five. So it's possible. And if we can do it in a Jersey, we should better be able to do it in a Holstein. Um, and I think that's, that's the right way to go. How do you, let's just get, let's ask about it right now while we're on it. How do you feel about ad lib feeding, Brad? How, how do how do we feel about it, or do you do you know how you feel about it yet? Uh, well, I, I I I'm not convinced of it yet. I I think it's an interesting thing that a lot of people are doing in the dairy world. We're trying it on some of our calves, ad living. You know, most of those calves are drinking 14 liters a day. You know, three four gallons a day. They'll drink all of that. I think the biggest issue is cost. How much is it going to cost me to feed that calf? You know, I've, I, w- I was at a dairy in, in, in Wisconsin last fall that was ad lib in every single calf. And, you know, the cost to raise that heifer was well over $2,000 to get in the milking herd. And the dairyman thought it was worth it to, to ad lib all those calves. So um, I think the jury's still out there, whether ad lib is a, a good thing, man, it, it grows good calves. We'll, we'll get calves weaning off our automatic calf feeder at 275, 300 pounds uh, at eight uh, weeks of massive. age. They are massive calves, but they don't know what to do after they get weaned. Yeah. yeah. All they've done is drink milk their whole life. They don't know how to eat grain. So there, it's kind of a, you know, it's, it, it's, it's tough. It's who, who knows what's going to happen uh, with ad living right now. I think that's a, uh, uh, a good question. Well, that's good. I, I, I'd been wondering, I know we had talked a little bit about it in the past, but, but that's, uh, those are massive calves coming off. And I think there, there has to be a tipping point in there when you're looking at the economics versus performance and there's gotta be a, a spot in there where it works. So I'm excited that you're looking into that. We're, we're back, I think to the next topic, which is Emily's soapbox issue, which is clean and dry clean and dry. Everything has to be clean and dry. So walk, walk us through that, M on a, on a dairy. Um, what are, what are, where does it need to be clean and dry? I'll just ask you that. I'll set it up on a tee for you. Everywhere needs to be clean and dry. Uh, but 
you know, with calves specifically, the areas we really want to focus on would be, you know, their direct environment. So whether they're in group pens or they're in hutches or individual pens, whatever you're doing, uh, making sure you're checking bedding, uh, making sure they have enough bedding. And I do know that, you know, this time of year, you know, if we're talking spring or so, it's maybe a little more wet and we may be tempted. And I know I was tempted uh, growing up on the farm. We had calves in individual pens uh, that I would just, you know, toss some extra straw on there, toss some extra straw on there. Well, if it's wet underneath that, that extra straw is not going to do anything, right? Because you're still going to get wet. And so, like I said in the last episode too, just doing a simple kneel test, get in that pen, kneel down into the bedding. If you stand up and your knees are wet, it's time to change the bedding. Uh, that is just a really simple thing to do. And yes, at certain times of the year, you might need to use some extra bedding. And I understand that that can be some extra expense. Uh, but when we look at the extra expense of if your calf does get scours, a uh, little extra bedding is probably worth it, at least in my mind. And so thinking of environments and then uh, if you do, especially do individual pens after you've moved those calves out, making sure you're giving that pen, um, you know, a good full cleaning as well uh, before the next one gets in there. And similarly, Brad brought this up uh, in the last episode too, equipment, feeding equipment, all of those things, because um, so many different things can happen, right? If you're just not cleaning them, you can get mold growth, you can get biofilm. Um, again, you can get, you know, transfer between calves if you just have a stack of buckets that you're using for everybody or bottles or what have you. So those are really, um, you know, the big ones for me. And, and I tell people too, you know, use all of your senses. What are you seeing? What are you smelling? Even what are you hearing? Um, you know, and really make sure you're also getting down at the calf level. So when you're doing that kneel test to check out what the bedding is, give it give it a sniff down there. You know, are you smelling a lot of ammonia, other things? Uh, Brad is rolling his eyes at me, but I'm sorry, Brad. I like clean, dry areas uh, so that I, agree. I have healthy I agree. calves. Um, I feel very passionately about this, if you couldn't tell. And it's just, yeah, those little things. Um, but I think sometimes those are easy to kind of give those the chop when we're working on all of these other things. But uh, for me, yes, the big ones are, are bedding and then also whatever equipment you're using on the calves. And, and also, I would say be really mindful. Um, I have seen in some barns where cows and calves are kept in close proximity to one another and if there is a way for your calves to be as separated as possible from your cows I would encourage you to do that because again you know we just talk about basic immunity and um, calves are going to have weaker immune systems than your cows are and uh, it's possible for calves to catch things from cows so if they're kept uh, right in the same barn or in close proximity uh, that can also be uh, another concern. So that's something else that you can look out for too. And and you, you hit it right on the head when you're saying everything has to be clean and dry. And and I think I'm really interested in, in trying to find those areas that people tend to forget about. And one of those areas is the calving pen. That That is the first initial exposure for that calf. So if you have a calving pen, just because they're not in there very long, or they might not be in there for a whole day or however you're going to work it, that's, that's still a source of exposure. The other place I see a lot of is how the calves are transferred from the calving pen to wherever they're going to spend uh, the next part of their life. So 
I know I've been on several dairies where that has been the source and eliminating like at one dairy I was at, they transferred the calves from the calving pen to the calf barn in an old wooden trailer that I think was built when the dairy was built in 1940 something, uh, same wooden trailer. I mean, we just lit a match and burned that thing and didn't have, uh, we cut the problems by 90% immediately. Watch out for those things that you may not be thinking about. Like Emily said, everything should be clean and dry as much as you can. And calves chew on everything. So like like Emily said, when she's kneeling down there doing her sniff test, which Brad was rolling his eyes at, look for any of those things that that calf can chew on because if it can reach it, it's going to chew on it. And that needs to be clean. Yeah. And with that, I would remind people to even think about their own clothing and boots and you know those types of things are basic biosecurity to begin with but um you know if if you are working with a calf and and you can tell that they're sick or there's something wrong you can be the carrier um from that calf to another so i know hassle like oh i gotta wash these clothes whatever uh but that's just you know something to keep in mind or if you're able to you know uh you know throw on a pair of clean coveralls before you're going into the calving pen to get the newborn calves um, you know, just some of those really basic principles of of general biosecurity too, I think can apply here, especially um, when we think of ourselves and the threat we can pose as well. Absolutely. Now, Brad, Brad, when you're when you're cleaning in between calves or in between groups, what are you what are you guys using to clean? Are you using a chemical or or anything like that? Well, we we do use a, a disinfectant. I, I would say bleach would be. The, the biggest thing is to cleaning uh, uh, different things. I should admit we're not some it, it's hard. Cleanliness is hard to do on every single aspect. That's the, the main thing. I don't think every dairy, no matter how hard you try, it, it can be difficult to, to, to maintain that. But yes, we do. We try and do uh, bleach disinfectant between things uh, just to keep things uh, clean, but it's always a challenge. I'm, I'll admit it. I'll admit it. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's a big challenge. And, uh, you know, we're, we're harping on it pretty, pretty strong here and painting it pretty black and white, but, uh, there's a lot of gray and there, there's no way around it. There's, there's just going to be times when you can't get to all of it. And, and that's what we're trying to do is reduce the the dose that these calves see. So we're just getting the numbers lower. They're never going to be zero. We know that all the calves are going to be exposed, but we want it to be as low as we can. And that's the purpose of being clean and dry. Now, the only disinfectant that I've seen that, that seems to have some effect on crypto, which is probably our hardiest of the big three that we talked about, Corona, Rota, and crypto. Crypto is chlorine dioxide. That is a very, very versatile chemical. I really like it. It comes in different formulations, so you can make it a foaming agent or anything like that. Um, it works really well. You can dilute it or make it more concentrated based on what you're cleaning. It's really, really good product. So that's something I would ask your veterinarian about. They should know what chlorine dioxide is. Really, really good product to be using when you're cleaning in between calves. Equipment, Emily touched on that. There's a lot of different, uh, a lot of different equipment that we use uh, in related to these calves and keeping that all clean. Again, I like chlorine dioxide because you can also use chlorine dioxide to clean equipment and anything that has contact with animals as well. Well, one, th- one thing, what about calf stress? You know, I think trying to, if we didn't mention that, trying to minimize stress when the calf is born, 
not moving the calf as much or if you need to do it do it fast and, and quickly and don't move them all over the place I think stress is one of the worst things too that you know we see it even in ourselves when we get stress out you become you have a chance to get disease things like that so uh, reducing calf stress is is a main thing that you know maybe we don't think about as much either so it, it's a tough one yeah I think there's there's two different ways to look at scours in my mind, right? So scours, um, when it comes to stress and all those added things, you can look at it as like a cup that's filling up with water and the immune system, that calf is that cup filling up with water and everything that you do that adds stress fills that cup up more and more. Right. And so there's a capacity of that calf to handle it, but eventually that cup's going to overflow and you're going to have an issue. Um, and the other way to look at it is every time we add stress, we're, we're lowering, lowering the, the threshold that we need to find uh, of bugs or pathogen particles that that calf can see um, before it then tips over and the immune system's overwhelmed. So like Brad said, we got to reduce any of that stuff, handling, dehorning correctly, all that kind of stuff needs to be reduced uh, and the stress minimized so that it's not affecting our immune system. And also thinking about the stress that different weather conditions have too. So when you're dealing with calves in the winter, what are you doing to prevent that cold stress? And in the summer, uh, to prevent heat stress as well, because, you know, if, if it's really cold, the calf is using a ton of energy to keep its body warm. And, you know, then when it's really hot, it's trying to cool down. And so I would wrap, you know, that, that weather-related stress into that as well. That's a good point. Really good point. I, I think, know, I'm uh, very smart. Yeah. Well, most days, most days. Mm. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we, we've covered it pretty quickly. We've been pretty succinct, but scours is a topic that we we're going to come back to over and over again. It's, it's an issue all the time. And on the beef side too, it's an issue every year. We deal with it all the time. So we'll call it good there. Make sure uh, you're getting in touch with us. If there's more you want to hear, check out the, the website extension.umn.edu. Uh, if you want to find something to reference. Uh, and with that, we'll catch you guys next week when we talk about beef scours and what to do in a beef-specific system. Thanks for listening, everybody. Catch you next week. Can you imagine how much that would burn? Oh, my gosh, that would hurt.